morning is taken from Exodus chapter 5, starting at verse 22 and continuing through to chapter 6. In the Church Bible, that can be found on page 62, and in the large print version, page 92. So, verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. Then the Lord said to Moses, go, tell, the king, tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why should Pharaoh listen to me? since I am speaking with faltering lips. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Chris, and thank you, Colin. I'm just going to interrupt the flow slightly because I've just heard that Lucy Webb had her baby on Friday, and the name of the baby is Seth Thomas. So I'm sure we're all delighted to hear that. Um, and uh, let's pray, shall we? Let's pray for her and then pray for ourselves. Father, we do thank you so much for the safe delivery of Seth Thomas. We thank you for Lucy and all that she means to us. And we thank you for Lucy and Dan and for Seth. And we pray for them as they move into their family life, that you will really bless them, give them joy, and strength and wisdom and we pray that your love may surround them day by day as they move forward in their lives together and now lord you see that we're gathered together as a family family of your people we thank you for the promise of your blessing thank you for your word and we pray that by your spirit you will open your word to our hearts 
and our hearts to your word that we may indeed be encouraged as we hold on to your promises to live courageously for you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, we've just read a really wonderful passage of Scripture, haven't we? Full of promises to help us to live courageously. But before we look at the actual passage itself, I want to start somewhere else this morning with you and with me and where we are at the moment. I mean, how is life treating you? What are the blessings you're conscious of? What might be the things that trouble you? Are there issues going on in your life or with those whom you love? Do you have questions? Questions about what's going on, about your faith? Are there uncertainties? Are there anxieties that you're facing about health or anything else? I think just let's take a few moments of quietness. Just think about your lives and where you are at the moment and the things that might be upon your heart. We're encouraged to be courageous, but perhaps you don't feel very courageous. Perhaps you feel rather weak and helpless and puzzled. And where do you turn when you need help? Do you want to be quiet and on your own? Or do you want to talk to someone? Do you want to be listened to? by a friend or someone in your family? Or do you want to go to the doctor? Or a dentist? Uh, when I go to the dentist, my dentist's name is Paul. And I always say to him, Paul, it's lovely to see you. And he always laughs, he says, no one ever says that to me. <laughs> or do you want to see a counselor? Or a prayer partner? or a close friend, or if you're married, your husband or your wife. Where do you turn when you're puzzled or when you feel helpless? Just take a moment to think about that. Where do you turn? Now you probably noticed that in the various people or places that uh, I mentioned as possibilities for you to turn to, I did not mention God. Maybe you turn to God. And that, of course, is always a good thing to do. And that's what this passage encourages us to do. Even when we wonder whatever God is doing. You see, in chapter 5, verse 22, the beginning of the reading, I don't know if we can get those up, uh, verse 22 and 23, Norman. They were questioning God and they were complaining to God. Do you see that? Moses returned to the Lord and said, 
Why, Lord, have you brought trouble? Yeah, they're conscious of trouble, like we are sometimes. And ever since I went to speak to Pharaoh in your name, he's brought trouble on this people, and you've not rescued your people at all. So you see here that what Moses is doing, when he's confronted with issues in his life, he's turning to God, not saying, Lord, help me, but he's saying, Lord, I'm questioning you, and I'm a bit angry. I'm finding that it is you know, complex, and I'm complaining to you, Lord. And maybe we feel like that sometimes. We want to complain even to God because of what is going on. And Moses did that representing the people. So, the first thing I want you to take away from this is this. Hold out to God what is going on. I think there's a slide, Norman, for this. I didn't go through the sermon slides, did we? But they should be there somewhere. I think Lucy would have put them on there. Can't find them. Well, you may find them, Norman. Anyway, that's the first point. Hold out to God what is going on in your life. Whatever it is, whatever you maybe you thought of earlier in those just a few moments of quietness, whatever it is, whether it's to do with your family, your work, your relationships, your anxieties, your money, your habits, your needs, your cares, whatever it might be, hold out to God what is troubling you. That's the first thing. Just tell God all about it, like Moses did. That's what he did. Second point is, hold on to who God is. Hold on to who God is. Verse 2, you'll probably get this up. He is the Lord, Yahweh. I am the Lord. We see here what God is saying about himself in this passage, and we're just going to go through it. I am the Lord. I am almighty. I am the one who knows all things. I am the eternal one. I am the Lord, the one who said, I am who I am. Let's hold on to the fact that God is the Lord. Secondly, God is personal. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of each individual named by him. So your name is there. And he says, if you think about the New Testament, he is the God of Paul, of Peter, John, of Philip, of Phoebe, in the Old Testament, of Ruth. And so as we think of ourselves, he's the God of you, Sue, of you, Julia, of you, Mike, if I say Mike, that's half the men here, <laughs> and um, of you, John, of you, Mel, of you, Colin, whoever you are, you can put your name in there. He is the God of your name, a personal God. Thirdly, he's a God who keeps his covenant and keeps his promises. Verse 4. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. He is the God who makes promises and keeps them. Unlike human beings, I mean, you think about adverts, think of all the things they promise. And half the time, you know, you feel that can't be true. What about politicians? Well, 
We've seen lots of examples recently, haven't we? Politicians making big promises, and the question is, will they be able to fulfill them? God is a God who keeps the promises he makes. Then, fourthly, he hears our prayers, verse 5. I've heard the groaning, all that complaining they made, the complaining that Moses made on their behalf. He's heard it. Whatever you might say to him, he hears. I've heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving. And then he says, I have remembered my covenant. So he hears your groans, he hears your complaints, he hears your troubles, he knows all about you. Whatever it was you've thought about and that you can bring to him, he knows and he hears. And then if we, he's reiterating what he already said in chapter 3 and verse 7. He said, I have indeed, here it comes, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out and I'm concerned. You see the three things there? He sees, he hears, and that leads to his being concerned. So this is the God with whom we have to do, to whom we come. One who hears, who sees, and is concerned about anything that's going on in, their li in our lives, just as he was concerned about the suffering that he was seeing. And so he says, I've come to rescue them. He's a God who acts for us. This is our God. Hold on to that. He hears, he sees, he is the Lord. He knows by us by name. He's a personal God. And he is the one who says, I'm going to do something. That's the second thing then. Hold on to who God is. Hold out to God whatever it is that's troubling you. Hold on to who God is. Thirdly, hold on to God's promises. He says, I have remembered my covenant. He doesn't forget what his promise. Covenant is a very strong word for a promise. I've remembered my promise. The covenant as expressed has five promises in this passage. And I'm just going to go through them. Verse, uh, the next one, Deli first is deliverance. He says, I've come to rescue you. I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the oak of the Egyptians. I will bring you out. Now just keep that up there, Norman, for the moment, because first of all is to rescue you, to bring you out. And they were being rescued from slavery, and whatever it is that's holding you in, his, in, in, the, in the, its grip, God is able to rescue you from it, to bring you out of it whether it's anxiety or sin or whatever it is. It may take time, as it did with the Israelites. It's not necessarily instant, but God promises, hold on to God's promise that he is the one who delivers, who rescues. Next, I will free you. He promises freedom. They were released from bondage, from their slavery, and they came out and they were freed from slavery. So there is freedom that God promises to us. We're freed to be the people God wants us to be. Freed from all that holds us in its grip, whether it's sin or trouble or anxiety or whatever it is, freed to be the people God wants us to be. And then he says, I will redeem you. This is the third thing, we are redeemed. 
that is more than freedom. You know, you hear people talking about the liberating love of God, and that is true. But the love of God is more than that. It is a redeeming love, which is not just freeing us from things, it is freeing us into belonging to God through Jesus for us. It is free. Redemption is about being purchased as a slave was, and their freedom was purchased, and they belonged to their new owner. So redemption is a really important word because it means not just we're free from, they can do anything, but we belong to God. We have been redeemed and belong to God. And he is our, our father, as we know. And then he says, I'm, I'm redeemed you. Maybe we can have it back, Norman. Without, oh, the next verse. With mighty acts of judgment, and I will take you as my own people. So the next part of this promise is relationship. You will be my people, and I will be your God. We belong to God. And then in the relationship, we belong to one another. We are a people. Not just individuals, but we are a people. We are both individuals and a people. We have a relationship with God and with others. We belong to God and we belong to others. And then the last thing God promises is probably the next verse. I will bring you to the land I swore you. I swore to you with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So what God then promises to Moses and the people is an inheritance. There is something in the future for you that will bless you. God, good things God is going to give for the future. Fullness of life now and blessings for the life to come. And that gives us hope, doesn't it? So, I'll just go through this again, you see. All these promises we can hold on to for ourselves that the Israelites had of deliverance from slavery, from bondage, whatever is holding us into ourselves or holding us back, freedom into a new sense of being free, redemption, belonging to God, and a relationship belonging to God and to his people, to one another, and with hope for a future inheritance. Now, this isn't me just saying this. It's just all there in the Scripture. Isn't it a brilliant passage of Scripture, don't you think? I'm very blessed to be able to bring it to you. So we come to the fourth point, God's promises fulfilled. We see how God promised, how the promises that God made are fulfilled. For the Israelites, how did God unfold this and this is a little bit of summary of the coming chapters which is important because next Sunday Norman's going to pick it up after the points I've made and we'll reiterate some of them I'm sure <laughs> the plagues first of all came the plagues for the Israelites there was a confrontation with Pharaoh they had to persuade Pharaoh who hardened his heart time and again there were the plagues the rivers were turned to blood there were frogs there were gnats there were flies, there was the death of all the livestock, there were boils, there was hail, there were locusts, and of course we've seen on our television screens, haven't we, in a recent week or two, about the locusts across East Africa and devastation they caused. There was darkness, and then there was the killing of all the firstborn of livestock and of the Egyptians. 
Pharaoh, right through this whole process, kept vacillating, said, oh, if, you know, I'll let you go, and then he changed his mind. His hard heart was hardened, and he didn't let them go. And so on this final, the tenth plague, as you know, God said he was going to destroy the firstborn. But he said to the Israelites, what I want you to do is to take a lamb that is without blemish and without spot and to prepare this lamb to eat, but to, when you kill it, to sprinkle the blood upon the doorposts, the lintel and the doorposts of your houses. And he said to Moses, when I see the blood, I will pass over you which is why the Jews to this day keep the celebration of the Passover. So they are delivered. They were released from bondage. God fulfills his promise. They are freed, and they cross the Red Sea. They spend time in the wilderness. As you know, they receive the law so that as God's people they will know how to relate to one another and how to relate to the outside world. They get hungry and moan. They get thirsty and moan, but God provides for them, and for 40 years they wander about. And eventually they come into that promised inheritance, the promised land. They cross the Jordan, and they come into the land promised to them, a land flowing with milk and honey. So God fulfilled his promise. He fulfilled his promise for the Israelites. And in the same way, he fulfills his promise for us. All this that I've described to you is fulfilled in Jesus. You know, I've heard some people say, oh, we don't want to worry about the Old Testament. What we really want to do is come to Jesus. He's in the New Testament, and all the things in the Old Testament, well, there are they really relevant today? Jesus is here in the Old Testament. You remember when Bishop Joe came, and she told us all the parallels between Moses and Jesus, which was very moving? Here we have the same in this particular incident of the promises that God makes. What is your testimony about Jesus? and mine. Is it not this journey? Were we not in bondage to self, to our selfishness, to sin, and indeed to the prospect of death? Were we not promised deliverance, and that deliverance has happened as we took shelter beneath the blood of the Lamb? The Lamb who was slain? Are we not on a journey we get hungry, we get thirsty, we need patience. But we're on the way for all that God has for us, guided by God's law, the presence of God with us, fed by the bread of life, refreshed by the water of life, refreshed by God's Spirit till we cross the Jordan and enter the eternal rest that awaits us as we reach home in the living presence of God. Is not this the good news of Jesus Christ? Foreshadowed in the Old Testament in this pilgrimage 
of deliverance and redemption of God's presence with his people through their wanderings in this life and in the crossing of the Jordan into the promised land. Their journey is our journey. Their pilgrimage is our pilgrimage. Their God is our God, revealed in Jesus Christ. These promises that they had are promises for us that we have, and many more too. So we are encouraged, are we not, from God's word this morning to hold on to God's promises. Hold on to God's promises for you. All what I've said is true and many more. But I wonder if there are particular promises. I'm just going to branch out now a bit from the text. Are there particular promises that God has made to you that you have experienced in your life? For Pam and myself, there's one particular one that we were given when we joined in membership at the church in London just after we were married in 1964, which the pastor of the church gave us, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that has come to us from God at particular points of decision in our lives. As, for example, we moved to Guildford, we couldn't sell our house, waited for 15 months, and then the pastor preached on this different person quite unexpectedly, and I said to Pam as we walked down the road, something's going to happen. And that week we sold our house and we began the process of moving. It all happened. It was in God's timing. It happened, we had, I had that verse from David, um, Bracewell unexpectedly preached on that at the point when I was considering ordination. It was in the process. God spoke again. And again, uh, when uh, the call came to go to Losley and as be chaplain there. God gives us particular promises. My two granddads, one who was killed in the Great War and one who lived to be 92, both in the trenches, have the last letter of my granddad who was killed. He says, our times are in his hands. And my other granddad, he'd kept a diary. And in the diary, when he said all the people were killed around him and his captain and so on, he says, but our times are in his hands. They both held on to that promise. Our times are in his hands. It's a promise for you and for me. There's a lovely promise in Psalm 89.15, which I came across a few years ago. Blessed are those who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. If you think about the journey of the Israelites we've been thinking about, they walked in the light of God's presence. And this blessing as we walk, as we live our lives in the light of God's presence. His presence by his Holy Spirit, promised to us so that we can live courageously. So, what promise... Is there a particular promise that you've had from God that has been very special to you? Hold on to it. Perhaps you've sometimes needed or perhaps now need guidance or you're fearful or weak or anxious or troubled. Hold on to whatever it is that God has promised you. On Monday evening, last Monday, I spoke to the Mothers' Union. They'd asked me to, and 
Their theme for the year is building hope and confidence. And uh, one of the things I found on the internet which they um, associate with this, which I didn't use, I did refer to it, is that in, in the context of this theme, they've talked about holding on to God's promises and they produced a list which I printed off. There's 18 promises here from God's word, which are really lovely, they're absolutely marvelous. And I'm just gonna read four of them because if you're wanting, say, well, I'm not quite sure, is there a promise for me? Or maybe there is one here for you. So I'm just going to read four of them and you can take what you want from this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Maybe that's for someone here. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Maybe that's for someone here. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Is that you? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Is that one for you? If you're feeling weak, God's grace is there for you. Let's pray, shall we?